All right, friends, please have a seat. If you're standing, uh, watching online, go ahead and sit down with you. Tess and Mike, thank you all so much. Friends, if we haven't met yet, my name is Adam, and it's my joy to be the senior pastor here at, uh, at our church. And it's, it's fun for me to kind of do these, I call them kind of one-hit wonders. We're not in a series or anything like that. You know, it's Labor Day, so congratulations. Like, you have passed the test for being a true Christian. If you come to church on Labor Day, Start your crown, friends. So thank you so much for uh, gathering in, in, in God's presence today. I want to introduce you to uh, a strongman competitor named Hafthor Bjornsson. Hafthor Bjornsson. Uh, some of you may recognize him as the mountain. Uh, he played that character on the show called Game of Thrones. And in May of 2020, so earlier this year, he deadlifted 1,105 pounds. Like, that's a lot. If you, this is a video on ESPN. If you ever need to get hyped up, there's a lot of screaming going on when this is happening, uh, where I got the screenshot from. This is a world record. No human in history has ever lifted more at one time than uh, Mr. Bjornsson. Uh, now, this is a, the deadlift is a form that he can do just on his own. He doesn't require a spotter. Uh, now, I don't know tons about weightlifting. My dad, as he used to say, I know enough about weightlifting to be dangerous, <laughs> right? I had to take a class my senior year of college. I needed one more gym credit, and my advisor convinced me to take weightlifting at 8 in the morning, and it went about as well as you're thinking it did, right? So I reached out to someone who had more expertise. I reached out to my friend Bailey, an excellent weightlifter, and I asked her, you know, why is it important to have a spotter? This is what she said. Uh, she said, having a spotter is important to help protect you from injuring yourself when the weight is too heavy. Friends, the message this morning is, is called heavy lifting. Uh, this is a message for anybody who feels worn out. Uh, I, have, I have a friend, she's a part of our church, Emily's her name. Like less than two weeks ago, she had a baby on a Thursday, their first child, her and Nick. That was a Thursday. And then on Tuesday, she was parked in front of her laptop because she's a teacher and she was gearing up for virtual learning. Have a kid, starting a new school year, first time mom, first time virtual teacher. That's heavy lifting. This is our friend Princeton, one of the students we help support in Haiti. Princeton's parents are, are, are both deceased, and, and so as he's getting his education, he's staying with families that are a part of his church. So here's a young man trying to get his education in, in a country where he has access to few resources. And, and without the support of parents. That's heavy lifting. You can actually help support Princeton and, and, and our friends in Haiti. Uh, we're going to have an offering on September 27th in a couple weeks. We've had a long-standing partnership with our friends there, almost a decade now. And uh, we're excited about that uh, in a few weeks. You'll be hearing more about that as, as we get closer. Right, as a pastor, I have the privilege of having other people kind of peel back the curtain for me. And, and, and let me in on what's really going on, or what they're really carrying around. Now, I don't know a lot, but one thing I know for certain is that we have no idea what people are going through. Just, just no idea what folks are facing, what they're carrying with them. So what about you this morning? What heavy burden are you carrying around? Now, some of us have been Christian a long time, especially on Labor Day. Uh, and, and other of us, others of us may be new or, or, or just beginning our, our, our walk with Christ, or we may find ourselves all over the map in terms of our spiritual journey. But 
But whether you've seen this on a bumper sticker, maybe you've heard this before, there's kind of a Christian cliche. And it goes like this, let go and let God. I've got like the cheesy sunset picture for you, right? Here's the thing. I don't really know how to do that. I I don't know what it means to let go and then let God. Uh, But I'm learning. So what do we do when when we're running out of strength? What do we do when we need a spotter? What do we do when there aren't magic words to kind of make sense of a situation? So what I hope we'll discover today through the reading of our scripture is kind of an amended version of this somewhat cheesy Christian phrase. What I hope we'll discover today is that we can let God do the heavy lifting. We're going to be spending time in Romans chapter 8 together. And I hope you put on your big girl and big boy Bible pants today because Romans is some of the most intense, it's some of the most intense theology anywhere in the Bible. It's just, I don't want to say dense like that's a bad thing. Romans is just a really rich text. It was written by someone named Paul. And they had had an amazing encounter with Jesus. They were a Roman citizen. And, and Paul was uniquely selected to take the good news from kind of a, early on being mostly a Jewish audience to the Gentiles and to the rest of the world. So Paul goes from um, hunting down Christians to starting churches. And he would start these churches all around the ancient world and then correspond with them through these letters. And these letters, the content of them, form a lot of our New Testament, the second half of the Bible. So the scripture we'll be reading today is from Paul's letter to the church in the capital city of the Roman Empire. And he's writing to Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. And Paul himself is no stranger to hardship. So these were people, both the author and the audience, well familiar with heavy lifting. So we're going to pick up our scripture in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Friends, I don't think you need me to tell you that the world isn't as it should be. There, There should be pandemics that disrupt human civilization and take people's lives. There shouldn't be hurricanes that ravage our coasts. People shouldn't judge or fear one another based on the color of their skin or their occupation or anything else, any other reason. But that's where we find ourselves. The word Paul uses to tra- that we translate into groaning is the Greek word uh, sustenazo. It's a form of sustenazo. And that's translated uh, meaning to groan, especially along with others. And it can also be translated to lament. So this is pretty descriptive imagery we have here. Another translation of the Bible, the NRSV, says that creation is groaning in labor pains. Again, pretty descriptive. Now, I've been in the room when two kids have been born, but that certainly was not my experience, so I'm not going to sit here and tell you what that's like. But the concept embedded in verse 22 is that you can go through a process that is painful, but ultimately worthwhile. Jesus uses the same imagery of childbirth earlier in the New Testament in the book of John, chapter 16. He compares the pain we experience in this world to childbirth with joy in the world to come. You will grieve, Jesus said, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. 
But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. So if you've ever been frustrated at the way of the world, if you've ever suffered unjustly, if you've ever felt in your spirit or spoken the words out loud, God, why me? Then you have experienced the groaning of creation. That things are not as they should be. We, we experience a gap between the world as it is and, and the world restored as the kingdom which Jesus promises. And Paul speaks to this, that we groan along with creation. In verse 23, we read, Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So when I mentioned that the book of Romans can be theologically intense, this is part of what I mean, because we're, we're starting to stack up the metaphors here. Right? We've already got the, the metaphor of childbirth, and, and, and then uh, we're, we're understanding our experience in the world as creation groaning, and that we join with it in the process of waiting on the better thing to emerge. The promise that Jesus has for us, the promises God has made. That they've started, but they're not here yet. And then we read that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now, I'm familiar with the fresh fruit slush at Sonic, but what is, what is first fruits? I don't know if that's a word you all used. Thank you, Tess, sitting up front. I love it. Uh, what's, what's a first fruit? Like when you read it on the scripture, it's, it's not even two words, it's one word. W what does that mean? Bishop Thomas Boyd Jr. explains the first fruits of the Spirit is a metaphor deriving from the practice of offering the first fruits of the crop to God in the confidence that God will bring about an abundant harvest. So, this is a concept of first fruits that we find in the Old Testament, especially. It's used 25 times that you would take the first few things that emerge in your crop. And, and give those as a sacrifice to God in hopes that a more abundance would follow. So when Paul says that we as believers are the first fruits of the Spirit, what that means is, is that we are like a sneak preview. We're just the first part of a much greater harvest to come. Through our reception of God's grace in faith, we have access to God's Spirit. Now I think the Holy Spirit is probably the most neglect, one of the most neglected aspects of faith, at least in, in, in the Protestant circles that, that I've ran in. So I know I'm definitely guilty of this, of, of treating the Holy Spirit kind of like the weird aunt at, at the family gathering no one really gets. Right? It's, it's just kind of hard to wrap your mind around how the Spirit works. Even Jesus described it as, it's like the wind. No one knows where it comes from or where it's blowing. Oh. I mean, that's, that's, that's why we just sometimes skip over it, because it's, it's a difficult thing to wrap your mind around. So more on the Spirit in, in just a moment. So Paul says that we too join in with the groaning of creation as we wait for adoption. There's another metaphor. We've got childbirth, crop and, and agricultural language, and first fruits. And now we've got adoption as a metaphor, all in these first few verses. But Paul says we're waiting for the adoption, 
which is the redemption of our bodies. What all of the struggle is leading up to, all of the frustration that we experience on earth, all the pain, all the ways that the, the world we know isn't right, is leading up to the resurrection of which Jesus himself was a first fruit. So what the destiny of Jesus defeating death was like a sneak preview for those that would follow in faith. This is essential to the Christian faith. This, this concept that we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. And Paul describes why believing in this can be difficult. And so if you've ever thought, oh, resurrection, really? Can't we just let go and let go on? Like, this is far beyond kind of bumper sticker stuff. This is at the heart of our faith, and it's hard. Paul says, for in this hope we were saved, the hope of the resurrection. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So hope is trusting in God for what is to come, especially when you can't see it. I think Paul provides a great definition of hope here. That's precisely when, because you can't see it, that you have to hope for it. And this, this hope that we're saved in, that's the hope of the resurrection. That death is at the end, that Jesus was who he said he was, and in his own words, that he will see us again. Hope fills in the gap of what we're currently experiencing and what God has promised. Verse 25 uses another word that we've, we've seen so far in our scripture. It says that, that in the meantime, as, as, as this good and joyful thing will emerge, that we wait. Now, I'd love to see an actual show of hands here, here together. Does anybody like waiting? Anybody love, just love to wait? No. I, I, this is, I'm the worst at this. The other day, uh, I needed to get my oil changed and tires rotated. So I went down to the Jiffy Lube, uh, or the Valvoline off of 291 in Liberty. Giant line. Like, it's going to be probably over an hour. Ugh. And so rather than just sit there and wait, I'm like, well, I'll drive over to the other Valvoline off of North Oak. So I, I would drive like almost 30 minutes to go to the other one. Well, guess what they got there? A big old line. So guess what I did? I drove right back to the quick lube off of Regency at the end of my block. <laughs> like, I, I, I'll, just, I'll actually spend more time trying not to wait. I don't know if I'm alone in that. Waiting isn't stuff we're good at, right? So according to Paul, hope actually looks a lot like waiting. And this is hard for someone like me to stomach. Maybe you're the same way. To Paul, hope looks a lot like waiting and pressing on in the meantime. And so, if you're someone who's experiencing some challenges in life, maybe letting God do the heavy lifting means making the choice to wait and press on in the meantime. To hold on to hope and just keep going. Maybe that's what it means to let God do the heavy lifting. Now, the good news is that we don't have to wait Alone, We don't have to endure this alone. We don't have to do this on our own. In verse 26, we read, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So here's that word for the third time so far. Groans. Not so much a word, but a sound. Creation is groaning we join in groaning with it. And now Paul says, the Spirit actually joins us 
in our groaning. That the Holy Spirit joins us in our groaning and translates that into prayer. So I'm if you've ever thought, well, I don't, know, I don't know where to start when I pray. Well, the good news is you can pray sincerely without saying a word. That when you have those moments of confusion, anger, resentment, grief, when you're at the end of your rope and you don't have the words, the Holy Spirit is there with you in that moment. It's not a surprise to God to identify or understand what you're going through. Because he who searches our hearts, verse 27 says, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit of God intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So when you're carrying a weight, you can let God do the heavy lifting. You can release all of your angst, all of your frustration, even in an unintelligible form, even in, in, in the form of a groan. And God's gracious Spirit will translate that into a prayer. Now I do have one kind of thought of, of encouragement for us or, or something I, I think we could all use to work on. And that's to save your groaning for God. Save your groaning for God. My wife's a teacher and like, and like many of us, her, her work, much, much of her world has been disrupted. And so she's preparing for being an online teacher and, and kind of all that that entails and just getting adjusted to the start of the new school year with many challenges. She was sharing a little bit about this at dinner the other night with me and Sarah and our two kids, they're three and six. And so we started talking about just the challenges and frustrations. And then at some point we realized, you know, as a teacher, Sarah sharing her frustration, she's sitting three feet from our six-year-old who's about to start first grade. You don't need to hear all that. Right? And so we go, well, gosh, we kind of caught ourselves. Right? So we decided if, if we got grown, it's not going to be in front of him. Friends, I have great concern, great concern, that our speech and how people experience us as Christians don't line up with the patient hope that Paul describes. I'm not suggesting we pretend like we don't have any problems. I'm not just saying, like, just, just deal with it. But before we post in very public forums, especially online, before we drag someone else into the vortex of complaining, we should remember that we have access to the Holy Spirit who can receive our anxiety, both spoken and unspoken. Will you join me in the attempt to save your groaning for God? For the sake of our witness, Earlier, Paul defined hope as waiting for what we have not yet seen. Waiting patiently. And in verse 28, he describes one of the most famous Bible verses ever. He describes what we're hanging our hope on. Some of y'all know this one. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So the resurrection is the realization of our hope. That's that's. What, what we're hoping in, especially when it's hard, especially when we don't see it, that's where hope comes in. But along the way, we can trust that God is working for good even when we can't see it. That's precisely when hope is necessary, when it can't be seen. Scripture reminds us, and, and Paul does just an amazing job 
of, of, of gaining a higher or an eternal perspective. Right? We can get so kind of tunnel vision of what's going on right in front of us that we can miss the bigger picture. And that bigger picture is, is beyond our own situation. And it's the belief that even in things that are happening, that God is working and that something good is being born even when we can't see it. In another letter, Paul Church tells the church that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And so we heard that God works for the good in all things of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now some of us are like, well, I'm not sure I've gotten a call like that. How do I know that I've been called to God's purpose? Well, I've got news for you today, friends, good news. If you've been fed up, if you've been frustrated, if you're tired, if you're weary, if you've been lifting a heavy weight, then you have been called by Jesus. Now savor the flavor, because I'm going King James on you for this one. This is Matthew 11, 28. If you have experienced heavy lifting, then you have been called by Jesus, who himself said, come unto me, there's your call. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So let's have a different type of labor day. Let's be people defined by hope. Let's find some rest in the hope of God, not in our groaning and complaining online. Let's do what we can with what we can see and then leave the heavy lifting to God. When you feel like you need a spiritual spot, remember that you have access to the Holy Spirit that is unseen. And may God's Holy Spirit sustain you wherever you find yourself, whatever you're going through. As we enter into this new normal, next normal, whatever phrase we're all tired of hearing. Remember the promise of God described in Isaiah 41. If we don't do this all the time, I invite you to go ahead and let's wrap this thing up by reading this together. The promise of God. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. And everybody said, Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the chance to be together in your presence. To bring to you whatever we've been carrying, which doesn't surprise or shock you. God, by the power of your spirit, help us to patiently wait when we're experiencing hard things. Help us to not lose sight that you are always working for our good. God, we lift up to you those inward groans, those, those things we may not even have the words to describe, and we place them in your hands in this moment. And we thank you that by your spirit you receive our prayers, you receive our angst, you receive our frustration even within the same breath as receiving our praise. May we be people defined by hope. And as we prepare to leave this place, may we carry it out into the world that you love so much and that you sent your son to save. Amen.